we've got a very special guest on the Celtic View podcast this week. We've got a man that was a league winner at Celtic, also a man that was part of the team that helped us get to that UEFA Cup final in 2003. Very well known for having a wand of a left peg as well, now over in Nashville in America. So very warm welcome to Steve Guppy. Steve, how are you and thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. That was a very nice intro. It's been a while since I've had an intro like that, so that was cool. <laughs> Always got the warmest of welcomes when you come in the Celtic View podcast, of course. Um, I mentioned there, Steve, that you're now over in Nashville. I think that's a good place to start, just to let Celtic fans know what it is that you're doing nowadays. Yes, no, um, I mean, as a coach now, it's funny, you never know where this game's going to take you. Um, it's funny, the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years odd, I've, I've, I've found myself working um, in America, in the States, for a number of different teams. Um, and three years ago, uh, I was invited to come and join uh, the staff at uh, Nashville FC with a, a new club coming into the MLS. And I have to say, it's, it's gone incredibly well. And um, here we are, all of a sudden, going into our our fourth season together. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's been a great journey so far. Very exciting to be part of that early project of a new club. And what's very exciting for us to have you on is it gives us a chance to talk about one Alistair Johnson, who you know all too well. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Alistair. Yeah, I mean, Alistair's obviously done incredibly well for himself and I'm really, really happy for him because he's actually a really nice lad and a good pro, which is, I guess, the most important thing. Um, yeah, we drafted him in, in the college. As they, as they do over here in, in, in the US. This college draft thing is, is, is fairly important. And of course, because we were a new franchise, we were quite high up in the draft picks. So... You know, there, there was a lot of uh, research went into looking to to get the best players out of college. Um, and in Alistair, we managed to do that. So that was that was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, just to, to talk about him, you know, there was a lad who came in and, and often these these college players take a little bit of while to adapt. It's a big jump up, obviously, from college to MLS. But, um, you know, he had a bit of luck on his side where the couple of right backs who were more senior than him, uh, you know, fell out of favour or, or injuries for a number of different reasons. And um, he got uh, put in the firing line, as it were. Um, and, it, and he took to it incredibly well. Um, you know, very quick learner, very hardworking. Um, and, and the thing with, thing with Alistair, I guess, where, where me and him really, um, you know, um, got together on really was that I... He was um, someone who got really, really, oh, he's a very solid defender. I, I'm sure you've seen that and, you know, and, and smells danger and, and you know, he's a very good 1v1 defender and, and also um, you know, just a good all-round fit, can play centre-half, right-back, wing-back. So he's very good at that. But moving forward, you know, we wanted to try and help him create a bit of a weapon and, um, and his right foot crosses you know, were, was something that, that he really took to very, very quickly. And I'm hoping, I've not seen much footage at Celtic, but I'm hoping that he's really showing that, that his right foot crossing ability is actually very good. And um, so that, that gave him that weapon where, you know, a lot of players, it makes him stand out from others. And, um, you know, I think that's what got him into the, the Canadian national team 
on his debut or second game, he put in a great cross to the far post for the forward to to score, and I think that really helped him claim his place in um in 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 that in that Canadian squad. So that that really has been you know a little intro of what it was what when Alistair first came that he um, did well took his chance but then really got to work on trying to to get better and, and make this weapon of a crossing more effective. Yeah, we were speaking actually not long after a recent match the first team had, which was a a victory away to Hearts where we got a, ch- a chance to see that where Alistair Johnson puts a ball in from the right and Kyogo our striker nips in with a little back heel to, to flick it into the back of the net. So clearly that work back then is, is working now. But Steve, I'm interested in what you saw in Alistair then in those early days in the college system to make you as a coaching staff go, this is a guy we want to pick in the draft because you have so many options of players to choose from. Yeah, well, I'd love to take the credit for that, but sadly I can't because um, I was over in England when they were deciding on who the college draft were. So, you know, that that goes to to um, Mike Jacobs, our general manager, and uh, and Gary Smith, of course, uh, who is the head coach. So, you know, they, they will be the ones who were more behind, you know, the recruitment of Alistair. But... But once he arrived here, um, you know, that's really where, you know, mine and Alistair's story really kicks off. I mean, I, I you know, it, this this whole thing of crossing, um, you know, is, is something I don't think people work on enough. Um, you know, the little the little little details that make all the difference. You know, I, I you know, to give you an example, I, I guess many years ago when I was at Wickham Wanderers and as a non-league player, you know, we obviously... Martin O'Neill got the job and obviously he came with him was John Robertson and Steve Wolford. Now, John Robertson, and, and you know, was one of the greatest wingers we've, we've seen in, in England and, uh, well, you know, and obviously Scotland as well. And of, um, and of course, Steve Wolford was a, was an excellent fullback in his own right as well. And, and they helped me with my crossing and they, they gave me some little details. Then there were like light bulb moments for me, you know, where I just thought, wow, yeah, that will make a big difference to my crossing. And then it was down to me to go out and practice it. So that's what really happened. I'm, I'm hoping that happened with, um, with Alistair, with those, those little bits of nuggets, the um, little bits of information were passed on to him and um you know and and I think that made a difference to him and and he he you know uh, you know obviously we had to go through this covid period I, on my phone now I've got loads and loads of videos still now of him sending me down a local park on his own crossing balls then we come back critiquing and um offering up little bits of advice and so that was a really good um um you know, uh, adventure that we went on really to try and improve his crossing. And, and you know, and, and I felt through his real hard work and endeavours that, you know, he's now getting the rewards that he, he deserves. He is absolutely taken to Celtic like a duck to water, particularly with the system that our manager plays, Ange Postacoglu. It's, it's very different for fullbacks having to play inside, coming into midfield. And he has just absolutely excelled at it. But I'm interested to know during that time that you worked with him, did you always see him making that development forward into a club like Celtic? And you mentioned a little story there about training in a park. I don't know if there's anything else that you can tell us that maybe people don't know about Alistair. Well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I think the the whole telling you about down the park. I mean, obviously, it was it was extreme because of the way COVID changed everything. But you know, I, I'm sure there'd be plenty of players who didn't do the work. 
you know, and, and COVID was just a period where, you know, they sat at home and did nothing. I'm sure there's plenty of those who were around. Um, but Alistair, you know, had that burning desire to, to achieve, try and become as good as he could be, you know, go and obviously wanted to play for us, wanted to get in the first team, first and foremost at Nashville, which was no mean feat. But then from there, you know, once he got into the Canadian national team and, and was around some of the fabulous players that they have, you know, Alfonso Davies and that, I think his, maybe his head was turned a little bit at the prospect of potentially playing in Europe one day and um, and wanted to sample that. And, you know, and, and in fairness to him, he had tunnel vision on that. You know, he, he, was, he, he had a, a clear pathway in his own mind. And no doubt, you know, the, the Canadian national team World Cup, you know, put him on a, a platform of exposure that, 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 you know, helped him no end. Um, but of course, there's a lot of hard work that needs to go in there before before any of that happens. He doesn't just drift into a national team like Canada with with you know the the nucleus of players that they have. So there was a lot of hard work, and I, I guess that's really what I'm trying to emphasize is that you know you know he's a very very good all round player, very decent, and I think around better players, of course, you never know. But it sounds like. He's then gone, gone to that next level as well. But but crossing is, is something that I hope he continues to work on because we worked on it religiously before every morning, before every training session, he was out early, crossing balls, you know, videoing all his crossing, going through the little techniques and all the little details. Because I do think that, you know, too many, too many players hit the first defender when they cross um, and then don't actually think about reasons why, you know, why, why they did that. And, and, you know, that was something that we tried to install in Alistair, say, look, you know, let, let's, let's try and work out exactly what's going on here. Let's get a little formula going of, of what you need to do every time you, you cross a ball, almost like an autopilot. You know, Alistair's not really one who's going to take a player on, but if you give him time, and very similar to David Beckham, don't get me wrong, you know, David Beckham was, you know, a fabulous world-class player. I'm not saying that, but David Beckham wasn't great at beating players either. But if you gave him time... And he, he had a chance to cross. Then he almost went into a little bit of an autopilot. Little, um, if you watched him cross, there was a little pattern of things he did. And um, that's what we saw in Alistair as, as, as things developed. And he got more and more confident that whenever he had the time, it was almost like a chain of events would unfold that we worked in training. And I guess that's what you see. You, you try and offer the advice. They practice it. You know, if they meet you halfway and do the work, and Alistair did out in the morning, practicing it, practicing it, nailing down the technique, railing down, you know, the little formula, little details. And then eventually you'd start seeing it in games. And, and I think we see in Alistair, he's such a quick learner that it, it was he was doing it in games far quicker than most. So, you know, this this um, little period of time where he's gone from strength to strength and found himself at a massive club like Celtic, um, I, I guess we shouldn't be that surprised. Superb, yeah. And now, Steve, we need to get into to your career, but just before we do, just the last one on Alistair, are you two still in contact with one another? Or are you sharing Celtic stories between each other? <laughs> no, I, when I heard he was coming to Celtic, you know, um, obviously I texted him straight away. I was like, wow, you know, that, that's incredible. Really pleased for you. Um, and, and he actually texted back and said, yeah, I'm here. I'm, uh, I'm watching the game. So uh, I uh, I got wind of it fairly late, but I, I, listen, I, I I left him alone. He's you know he's he's um 
obviously loads going on and um i'm sure he don't want to hear from me too much but he um no I, I, every now and then I, I i reach out to him and and congratulate him or or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to have a little look at some of his crosses just to make sure he's still still got the the action right. Otherwise, I'll be giving him some stick. But um, no, I'm really, really pleased for him. He's actually a really great lad. And, and he's, his family is as well. I, I used to speak to his dad fairly regularly. And, um, you know, great, great people. They must be must be thrilled. Well, we're very happy that you've had a, a big part to play in it because he's doing superb at the moment. Steve, we're talking about Alistair signing for the club. We now need to go back to your time at Celtic and you signing for the club. It was the summer of 2001. The Celtic team were just in the back of winning a treble. You were coming into a very, very successful team under a manager you knew very well in Martin O'Neill. But take us back to that time. I'm very interested to know how the deal happened, how you found out about it and what your initial thoughts were when you found out Celtic were interested. Wow. Do you know what? I, I think there's lots of players at Nashville who actually don't think I ever played. It's been that long ago. But uh, I think Matt doesn't think I played. But <laughs> um, OK, so, yeah, I, I, I obviously had a, just had a, a fantastic period at Leicester City where um, we, it, it, was, it was a fantastic period, as I just said. But um, Mott and Neil had left Leicester, had gone to Celtic. Obviously, you know, someone who... Uh, who I've been really fortunate to follow him, you know, most of the clubs he was at. You know, I was at Wickham, then to Leicester. You know, I was really, really... I, 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 do you know what? You need a little bit of luck in this life. And, and I think part of my luck was that I managed to, you know, um, have a, get a manager who saw something in me who was going places. And, and, and that really was, was, was the way it went with, uh, with someone as, as great as Martin O'Neill. It, it was obviously such a... A confidence boost when knowing someone of of his, you know, stature saw something in you. So that really helped me throughout my career. And um, I was actually going to sign for Coventry City. Funny enough, Gordon Strachan was the manager then, and I and I went to see him. And um, a fee had been agreed with the Leicester, and I spent the day with him. It was actually a really nice guy, and um, I was going to go, but of course you know in total respect to, to Coventry City but when someone like Celtic come in and they in, in fairness they came in quite late on it was it would have been difficult to to say no and of course I didn't so um I had to ring Gordon up and thank him for his uh interest but um yeah very similar to Alistair it was a whirlwind before you know it you know I'm up in Celtic and um Simon Celtic same day as John Hartson and Momo Silla I think so uh we were we were all in the hotel together, which was uh, an interesting story for another day, I guess. But that was um, that was that was how it all came to be. Is this a, is this a story you're saying it's interesting because you can't tell, or <laughs> no? I mean, just I mean, I, I think I think it's, it's such a long time ago. But obviously, John 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 Artson was a you know a great guy and um, enjoyed enjoyed himself so we put it like that so uh he was uh he was always keen for for people to uh to to, to help him out in that respect and, and go out regularly with him and um you know I, it was <laughs> it was uh it was it was an interesting period I, I think some nights I used to walk around the hotel room with the lights off just open that John didn't think I was in but uh no it's all good fun it was yeah so we we signed we signed the same day obviously John had a 
fabulous career for Celtic. You know, um, what an amazing player he was. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all in it together. Nothing wrong with a few beers to celebrate a, a move to Celtic. You can't, you can't, yeah, it's more than, more than well deserved after something like that. Um, obviously, you spoke about Martin there. He clearly was a massive part in you coming to this football club. Is it just a case, to, does he just phone you up and say, look, I want you to come and you just have to ditch everything else in your plans and you follow Martin up to Celtic? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, I'm sure it was a little bit more complex than that, but but essentially, yes. I mean, you know, how, how do you say no? You know, it, it, was, it was too. You know, with such a massive club like Celtic, why would you not? Um, you know, my time at Leicester in the Premiership was was a fantastic time. I loved every minute of it, but it was coming to an end. You know, the manager there, Peter Taylor, had moved in another direction, wanted a different type of player. For the position I was playing in, fair enough. You know, it's all down to um, opinions. This game, um, I'm sure I didn't think that at the time, but but you know, as players, you're all selfish, and we're all selfish. So, listen, it was it was a great adventure. It was um, I was thrilled when I got the call, and I couldn't get up to Glasgow quick enough. Take us into your first week then at Celtic. What do you remember? about coming into the club? Is there anything that stands out from, from those opening few days? I think, I think the um, training, the training, uh, it was funny, I was talking about this only yesterday, the training at Celtic was, was harder than the actual games in some occasions. That's the standard that everyone held each other accountable uh, to. Um, and maybe, maybe my my time at Leicester, with it, as the team was was kind of going downhill, the the training maybe had suffered a bit. And my first week at Celtic, I, I do remember actually, I we were playing a five side game or something, and I I must have not tracked a runner at some point. There must have been a moment where I didn't track um track one of the and um and I remember Paul Lambert wanting to rip my head off about it, and I was like, wow, you know, of course this this he's right. Um, and it was almost like, right, you know, this is it. You know, this is the standard that everyone held to. I mean, that was a very, very strong team, of course. Uh, you know, the, that that Martin O'Neill team, and it was it was no no shock that the the way they practiced and and how they went about training. You know, I, I think obviously showed on on match day. It was it was an incredible standard, the level of training, and and everyone made each other accountable, which which is which is fantastic. There must have been some good characters in that team as well when you initially joined. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was, it was quite a fierce dressing room, if I remember rightly. Um, I, I guess, I guess, because the the honest truth is, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a massive regular all the time. I was, you know, it was very, very tough to to get in that when you're in the team and you're winning. It's fantastic, and then then when you, you know, if you if you injury or or you slipped out the side. It was very tough. There was a couple of rules in in Scottish football at the time where they had to you had to have a certain amount of under twenty ones on the bench. Um, so it was very very difficult to 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 get in once you'd slipped out if you were because there's only really essentially two spots on the bench. That's what if I remember rightly, you know, because the other two the other the other spaces had to go to obviously goalkeeper under twenty one players. Um, so. Yeah, um, so maybe being not a regular first team player, I wasn't, you know, so 
so in the mix in the in the dressing room banter maybe as I had been at Leicester but but um yeah it was it was fierce at times no doubt mm-hmm. let's go into some of the the moments then in that first season then 2001-2002 where as a, a club we completely dominated in the league but at the start of the season was your debut in one of the Champions League qualifiers against Ajax or did you play a game before that yes yes it was it was. Um, it, it, it's funny. <laughs> we, we laugh about it now, but um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw my excuses out now. So I, um, because I was on my way out the door at Leicester, I wasn't really included in too many pre-season friendlies. Um, so sharpness was probably uh, something that I needed. Um, and um, I maybe my first week in training at, at Southwick, uh, the the whole you know enthusiasm and and ed, you know and the, uh, carried me through um, and then I found myself like say playing at home against Ajax in the Champions League and um, it didn't go very well for me but I mean we won the game and um, I remember thinking wow I, I've got to pull my socks up here this this was not good enough and you know and I, I think you know looking back you go okay. Quite, you know, I, I hadn't played hardly any games. Champions League was a was a big arc straight away, but um, you know, you 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 realise then what a massive club you're playing for, and listen, you know, you've got to hit the ground running. So um, it was a slow start, but I like to think I uh, I pulled it round after that, and then and showed some nice performances at times. That Ajax game, the home game, I think we I think we lost one 0 Remember it being an extremely nervy game, but that got us into the group stage. But for you as a new player, I mean, I think you were 32 at the time as well, Steve. To then come into a team and know you're going to be playing Champions League group stage football, that must have been so exciting. No, of course. It was, it was, the uh, thing is, it. I, I mean, I, I turned pro, you know, I turned pro around about, I want to say 22, 23 years old. So I, I was like a real late developer and, um, you know, and it all happened in a, in a, in a quite tight, tight knit space of time. You know, coming to South at the 32 sounds like I'm washed up and really old. But I'd, I'd actually not had much professional football. Well, I'd had 10 years, I guess. But but if you think about it, players who come through a system, uh, you know, an apprenticeship, at a football club, I had none of that. I came off a building site at 20 years old, you know, so... No, I, I felt I still had plenty left in the tank, is what I'm trying to say. But of, of course, then you 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 know you've had five years, or I'd had five years playing in the Premiership. Um, obviously, played for England, so there's been a progression, and I've been working, you know, in in a really tough environment, which was it was amazing to to know that I could I could you know handle that sort of that sort of standard. But but yeah, Champions League was um, you know I'd had a little example of it. In the UEFA with um, with Leicester when we got into Europe, having won the you know the Carling Cup as it was called then the League Cup, so I'd had a little you know a glimpse of what it was like. But the Champions League w- w- definitely was a a next level up. It was an incredible standard. So you know that was a very very exciting experience to 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 sample and and to have played in it. Um, so so yeah, and, and obviously to do it. You know those those nights at Sarah Park in front of sixty odd thousand. You know you wouldn't hear the the, the the noise of it all. You could hardly hear yourself think. 
you know, they were they're the things that I spoke to Alistair about when he signed. I was like, you know, get ready for an old firm game. You're you're you nothing will prepare you for what what's what's coming up. So uh, that's pretty cool that he's experienced that. And and yeah, it was it was it was it was an amazing experience. I look back on now and go, wow, you know, I'm really really proud that I you know managed to play play in the Champions League for a team like Celtic. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about any particular memories you had from that campaign because we played Juventus, Porto and Rosenborg in the group. Um, before that though, I don't know if you have any memories of the, the first game I think it was when we went away to Juventus and we lost from a couple of dodgy decisions and I can remember Martin O'Neill after the match and his post-match press conference and he was not a happy man. I'm sure you've seen Martin in a, a lot of those instances where he, he comes into the dressing room and wasn't best pleased maybe during your time at Celtic and Leicester and, and Wickham. Um, I don't know if you have any memories of of times with Martin and maybe that game in the Champions League campaign in, in a whole. Oh, I've got plenty. Plenty. I mean, I do remember that game and um, it's, it's, we're, we're, um, we've got a lad training with us at the moment who's from Slovakia, would you believe? And um, he was he was talking about Lubo, you know, and, and it was just it's just it was incredible to talk to him about because he asked me about him and I was like wow because it, what a great player he was but he's almost like a secret where, where people don't don't know who he is if he, if you're not a Celtic fan most people don't know him yet he's one of the best players I ever played with so uh, we were talking about him only yesterday at training and and this whole Juventus game came up funny enough because. Obviously, they since got into some trouble for a number of different reasons. You, you always wonder, without being too controversial, you always think, well, you know, were, were we involved in that somehow? But probably not. But um, no, I do. I do remember that, um, that, that, that the manager was very unhappy after that game. But um, yeah, I think, well, well, you understandably so to go to Turin and, and you know, and, and match them and, and nearly get a result, which would have was always that was the issue with the, the home games were fantastic the away games just trying to get over the line there to get a, get enough points to qualify in very very tough groups was um was probably our undoing i guess yeah those home games though you mentioned about the atmosphere at celtic park and obviously for yourself you'd been playing in the top level in england in the premier league you'd played for england as well and of course with the Celtic badge on at the moment, we're a bit biased here. We, we say we've got one of the best atmospheres in Europe, if not the world. As a player, can you try and explain what it was like? And is it up there with amongst the best? Yeah, I mean, obviously a long time ago now, but it was, I, I think, obviously in, in England, playing in a cup final at Wembley uh, was, was, in, was something that you dreamed of as a kid. You know, walking up, I'm sure it's different for people who are like the cup final in Hamden and what have you. But but at Wembley, when I was a kid growing up, you always wanted to to walk out the tunnel and, and see the fans. And it was, you know, to get to do that, it was one of those moments in life. It was every bit as good as you'd hoped it would be. Um, and then, then moving to Celtic, I guess, you know, later on in my career was then the the energy and the intensity of of the crowd was was something to behold you know I think in in most crowds there's always a, a section of people who sing and, and all the rest of it but it seemed at Celtic everyone was singing 
um, which which obviously made the whole the whole stadium you know buzz rather than just sections of it. So that was that was something uh, an experience, and of course Champions League with that that extra bit of spice, an evening game which always gives you that that. That extra bit of atmosphere with the floodlights and you know the way obviously dark and just just great evening games are always the best games to play as a player. I always think that I'm sure everyone does. So yes, it was uh, you know an, an incredible experience and and those games, of course, you need to win. You know, so those European nights were just just you know they're they're the. It's funny when you retire, right? You. You, you meet up with players. Uh, you very rarely talk about games, you know, or performances. You, you tend to talk about nights out. Well, me and John do anyway. But um, but you know, Sarek, I guess, would be one of those rare occasions where, where you, if you, you know, you talk to ex-teammates, you know, you will and you will mention the odd the odd game because of just the experience of the of the whole occasion and and how everyone felt after. After after wins, I, I will say. I mean, when I when I coached um, with Martin O'Neill with Ireland a few years ago, that that was very similar. You know, in 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 the intensity of it. Obviously, you're representing a country which which felt you know, an honour. I have to say, it felt an honour, and, and we did well in the Euros. And I remember one night we we beat Italy to qualify for the next round of the Euros in 2016, which. Was a was a moment I'll never forget, and and that was the difference. I remember going in the dressing room. I know we're going a little bit off topic here, but it's similar in in talking about crowds and that. And you know the 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 Celtic crowd and the Irish crowd. There's a lot of synergy there, I guess. And, and you could you could really feel the comparisons. But I remember being in the dressing room after after that game when we beat Italy, and and most of the players were crying. And I've never seen that before. You know, normally there's a lot of players, everyone's ecstatic and, and buzzing and, and, you know, the, the, the rushes that you, you only get as a player when you win a big game. But to see that with these Irish boys all, all crying just showed how much, how much it, it meant to them. So, yeah, you know, the, the, you know, the crowd definitely had a massive impact on all those. There'll be plenty of people listening, Steve, who uh, have plenty of Irish connections, so I'm sure they'll be happy to, to hear your stories about that as well. Um, just take us back into the dressing room at Celtic at that time. You mentioned some of the big hitters that were in that squad. You mentioned Paul Lambert and what the dressing room was like. You mentioned Lobo Maratchuk, what a player he was. Henrik Larsson, of course, the absolute the king of kings. Um, I just want to get your memories and tales on what that squad was like how it managed to be such a strong group together and is there any kind of nuggets of stories you remember about particular players as well? Well I think one of one of Martin Neal's great strengths that, that seems to have been forgotten as um as he's you know uh, I'm always amazed that he's not in work at the moment um is that he was such a strong character that he didn't shy away from signing players with a similar reputation. You know, and I think he did it at Leicester where when you get these players with, with the, you know, this sort of character where they're not always easy to control, you know, they've got their own minds, but that sometimes can help you in the big moments where they're not shrinking violets, we say. You know, when you look at Leicester City, you know, Matty Elliott, it was Jerry Taggart, Neil Lennon. 
Um, you know, Ian Marshall, you know, there was a there was a nucleus of players there who were absolutely fantastic for Leicester City, but they were they were strong characters. And then you you obviously then go to, to Celtic in a similar thing there. You know, I, I remember watching when we signed uh, Bobo Baldi and um, and watching him attack the ball <laughs> from goal kicks. And, and, and thinking about if you're a centre forward and he was come flying and all he saw was the ball, he did not see anything. And, and you know, he'd be flying at it. And if you were unfortunate enough to be in the way of it, you know, you, you wouldn't you'd make sure it didn't happen again. And, and, and that was, you know, that, that it almost became a legend, you know, and, and I'm quite sure there was many centre forwards who played against Salwick who, who didn't look forward to it, you know, for that reason alone. And, and I think that's important, you know, when you have a look around that 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 pitch of uh, the Celtic team that Martin O'Neill assembled, you know, people like Chris Sutton, John Hartson, Henrik Larson, you know, they're, they're all, you know, people who have got their own mind, they've got their own ideas. And, and you know, and, and Martin O'Neill was such a strong personality himself that he was not only controlled it, but he, you know, they all you know, completely listened to him and, and um, you know, fell into line, absolutely, wholeheartedly. And, and, and I think that was part of the, you know, the, the, the reason why it was such a great squad and, and, and achieved so much. I wanted to ask you about Henrik, but because you mentioned Bobo, I feel like everyone that I've interviewed that played alongside him has a story about either being on the wrong side of him or watching someone else get on the wrong side of him. Do you have any Bobo stories? Do you know what? I've got this, Bobo, honestly. And, and, and I'm blaming the, the admin at the club, Celtic Club, for this. It was a long time ago, so I'm sure they don't work there anymore. But there was an end-of-year award ceremony. Um, and it, it was a player's play, and it was going to be at this big event, and it was obviously packed out with Celtic fans, thousands of people in there, big event, and... Um, it was going to be for the player of the year. And it just came down. I'd, 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 had, um, I'd had an operation in Germany. So I was in Munich and I came back late. So it turned out I had the last vote. And I didn't know, unbeknown to me, that Henrik Larsson and Bobo were neck and neck. So it came down. It actually, I had the casting vote to decide who won player of the year, which is wrong. Okay, but I'm just trying to remember, I think, so the reason I was upset with the club, because if I was told, I think, I think Henrik had some, I don't know, let's say 10 votes, I can't remember how many votes he had, but he was one ahead of Bobo. So if I'd have really, if I'd have been told that, I'd have voted for Bobo and they could have shared it, you know, and, and I, because and I, they were both, you know, Bobo had such an amazing season, but Henrik's Henrik, right? And, and I voted for Henrik. Because being a forward-thinking player, my my rationale was it's harder to create than it is to stop. So although they both had fabulous seasons, Henrik's has had a harder season because he's had to create. But I would do being a forward-thinking player. So I voted for Henrik. Um, and then they asked me to um, actually give the award. <laughs> That's great. It's never good as a player when you're not in not in contention to win it yourself, but you're, you're asked to hand out the reward. Great. So I had to go up on stage and that's when they announced the scoring system. And it was almost like, and I was, I was like ready to, and, and the, the make matters worse. Everyone was convinced Bobo had won it. So I'm up walking out on stage and all the fans are singing the Bobo Baldi song they used to sing. They were all convinced he'd won it. 
and I'd know that I knew he hadn't, and I knew he hadn't won it because of me. And and then when they announced the scoring system, and and the and the, the woman who I can't remember her name, but um, she announced how it all went down. I had the last vote, and it was next. I mean, she really threw me under the bus, as we said. Um, so yeah, so I had to announce against everyone's surprise that Henrik had actually won it. And and the and, the, and I think it's quite a funny story, I guess. But honestly, afterwards, I went to Bobo and said, I'm really sorry. If I'd have known, and he was good as gold. He was like, don't worry, Henrik deserves it. Well done. And he never held it against me. I mean, how, how, how classy is that? That's probably a good thing for you because I thought you were going to go with that story and say the next time in training, I got Bobo six studs. Oh, well, well, he used to do that anyway. I mean, but I, but he, um, I'm, I'm sure he, he didn't do it with any any intention afterwards. So no, he, I really liked him. He, he was a great guy. He was actually a different person off the pitch than he was was on. And I, I, I have no idea what he's doing these days, but I hope he's doing well. Yeah, yeah. Someone we need to try and actually get in the podcast. So that's a that's a good idea that you've you've given me there. Um, just closing off. Remind that him. Don't remind him of that story. That's all. Or else he will come just in case, just in case he's changed his mind. <laughs> um, just one other match in that final season, sorry, that first season, uh, I wanted to mention. It was the day that we actually won the league title. It was a 5-1 win against Livingston, which I watched back the highlights of earlier today in preparation for this interview. And you put in a couple of crosses, you got a couple of assists for the, the goals that clinched the title as well. Um, I don't know if you have any memories of of that occasion of winning a league title. I imagine that must have been your, your first league title as a player. Um, well, I, I, we won the Vauxhall Conference with Wickham. So, I, I, listen, it felt great at the time at Wickham. Don't get me wrong. But when you're trying to make comparisons to the Scottish Premiership, it, it does sound a little bit demeaning. But, but um, yes, uh, I guess after after Wickham, to, to win a league title with Celtic was was... You know, it was. It, I know it's expected. You've got to do well. It's either us or Rangers. You know, and and uh, you know, and it has to be said, Rangers had a very, very good team at that point, for a number of different reasons that we don't need to go into. Um, but it was. I remember the game. I remember actually uh, putting one on a plate for Paul Lambert, which I don't remember him thanking me for. Um, but it was. Fantastic! It really was. I keep saying fantastic, I guess, but but it, it was, uh, you know, a, a memory that I always cherish to to play in that game that won it uh, and and to, uh, and to have a play a part in it. You know, when I look back on my career at Selwick, I didn't play as many games as I'd like to have done, and um, you know, but there were there were you know there were some real highlights, and obviously that was one of them. I think I think the the you know the one of the best games I played for Celtic was uh, was against um, maybe was it Basel Bowl um, the Swiss in the in the Champions League and or Celta Vigo um, in, on our run to the UEFA Cup. You know they're, they're the games where I look back and go, okay, you know to play well in Champions League or UA, you know in in Europe, um, that, that, that's great. You know if I if I count them, you know and, and being completely honest. You know, there were times when I, I obviously didn't play well enough, but but those games to be able to play and say to myself, I did well in that Champions League in um, UEFA Cup, that, that that means means something in in my career, I guess. But of course, to to um, to play in the game that with the wins, uh, wins that I know we were 
we were well ahead at that point. But just to win, you know, to play in that final game, set a couple of goals up, it really, really felt part of it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was an excellent little moment in 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 everyone's career. And and I'm no different. Of course, it definitely should be. Let's get into that second season then, where you mentioned a couple of those games, the Basel game and the Celta Vigo. So the season starts off. I think you're you're playing pretty much week in week out. We're a team that have just been in the Champions League and won three games, and then we have the shock of going out against Basel in the last qualifying round, so we don't make the group stages. But unbeknown to everybody, that starts off this incredible run to Seville, which you more than played your part in. You talked about Celta Vigo. There was Blackburn before that. You played in the game against Liverpool as well. Just like an overarching question, really, about what your memories are of that campaign and again any little kind of nuggets of stories that you might remember from it yeah uh, to to have a run in in um you know in europe the way way it did was was exciting for everyone of of course you know the 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 leagues are a battle and you know when you have to grind out performances week in week out but the european adventure I guess it was, was especially special for someone like Martin O'Neill who had won it with Forrest and back in the day. So I, I think it, it was something that was always very close to his heart. And, and of course, everyone was excited uh, about the, the European games. So, yeah, so the, the, the Basel game, yeah, to, to go out to them, listen, they were still Swiss champions. They were, they were still pretty good. Um, but, you know, that, that was a little bit unlucky, really. I'm, I remember... You know, playing playing in the home leg, um, they're coming on sub in the in the second leg, and um, we just we created some chances, but just you know, for, it, it it didn't happen. <clears throat> so yeah, so then obviously fell into the UEFA Cup, and 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 like you say, the the journey was 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 so memorable because obviously we then we played a couple of English teams. We had obviously Blackburn who were flying high there. I remember you know um, the home game against Blackburn they were they were pretty good um and you know I think going down to Ewood Park you know maybe people were thinking that we'd um we'd come unstuck but it was it was such a a great performance that night and you know we we fully deserved to go through and of course uh, was it Liverpool next am I right in thinking that so there again it it it, I mean it, it caused so much um you know interest with with playing obviously one of the biggest teams in England against Celtic. Uh, it, was, it was, I remember that, but that was a very, very special encounter. And and to to win it down in Anfield in the manner that we did was uh, was just you know testament to a, what a good team, what, what a good team it was. I, I think people always say, you know, what well, back then I remember there was talk that if if Celtic and Rangers ever joined the Premiership, where would we be? Where where would the team you know stack up? In in that um, you know in that league, and, and honestly, I I think that 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 Celtic team that that from that era would have would have been contesting for Champions League football. I really do think that. Yeah, it was such a strong team, and in any given night in Europe, we were a match for for anybody. We proved that over the years that you were there, and the the rest of the time under Martin O'Neill as well. Just to kind of go into a bit more detail into a couple of the games, you mentioned the Blackburn one and the home leg in which we came away with the result, but there were some comments afterwards about our performance compared to Blackburn's performance from, from the Blackburn manager 
at that time. Can you remember at all before that match at Ewood Park if that was used as motivation if bits of newspapers were maybe put up in the changing room? I, honestly, I don't. I don't remember. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think anyone really needed that sort of inspiration. I, I'm pretty sure Martin O'Neill would have absolutely got the players revved up because he always did. Uh, it was just incredible talent at doing that. But I think more than anything, it was a, a, a cup competition playing down in England. We wanted to show that we were more than capable of, of, of living with, with teams from down there. And, and, um, you know, and, and thankfully that night we, uh, we showed it. In the game at Anfield then against Liverpool, we get a 2-0 victory. Goals from Alan Thompson and John Hartson. I'm interested though in what Martin O'Neill's like before and during those big matches in Europe where you're going to Anfield were really not expected to get a result. What did he do prior to moments like that to really try and make sure that as a group we believed that we could go into those games and win? Or was it the belief already there? Well, I, I think it's something, there's a process that, that goes on from the moment you sign. You know, it's just the way he is. Everything matters. You know, even in, in training, quite often the training sessions that we did, as, as I spoke earlier about how intense it was and how you know, in, incredibly competitive the games were, but training, but a lot of that was down to him. You know, there'd always be something on it. You know, the, the loser would have to do some sort of forfeit, some sort of run in. And, and, and because he was, you know, the character that he was so strong that, you know, not every manager can get away with that. You know, a lot of players would, you know, because uh, it, it got could get quite heated. Um, and you need that, that that little bit of extra intensity, you know, um, and, and it's funny, years later, working with Ireland again, you know, working with someone like Roy Keane, um, and, and, you, and you start to tap into his experiences at, at you know, Man United and, and everything they achieved. And you think, wow, there's a lot of similarities here in, in it just it's not rocket science. It's just getting the best out of the players. Um, and, and that's what he had a knack of doing. So it wasn't one moment. Of course, I'm sure going into these games, you know, the, the, way, the way he spoke and he wasn't, you know, so much a rant and a raver before, you know, before matches. I think I played for managers who are ranting and raving and, and it kind of washes over you after a while. It loses its impact. You know, there'd be sometimes we go out and it'd be very var very calm, calculated and articulate and everything he spoke about. But there was a steely intensity about his words. Uh, of course, if we came in half time, it wasn't going to plan. Then, then we'd get a different side of him. But, but it was, it was just, it was really, really interesting. And I didn't really think too much of it as a player. But then, when I became a coach and and, and obviously got to work with him far closer or closely and, and and saw his methods, you know, watching the way he spoke to players and how he got the best out of them before games was 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 incredible. And I've never seen anyone quite like him or, or work with a manager capable of, of, of doing that. And I, I think I'm pretty confident that, that most players you will speak to on, on these podcasts who played for him will, will say exactly the same. Yeah, obviously the team then go on to get both of you to the semi-final. We win that, we then get to the final as well. But for yourself, from what I was reading, you had a hernia operation towards the end of that season and missed that kind of crucial part at the end. And it's a really strange season when you look back on it in general, because 
we have this amazing run to UEFA Cup final, but we come away at the end of it and we don't win a single trophy. I mean, it must have been a real strange campaign as well for yourself personally to end it in the way that, that you did through injury and also collectively that we didn't actually manage to win anything for how strong we were. No, it, it was. I mean, I, I think I look back, I mean, at the time, obviously, so, so, you know, uh, it, it was depressing not to be involved. You know, I was obviously there and and so uh, seeing around it, I didn't, the semi-final I missed as well because of the injury. And I, I, but I look back now and go, do you know what? I, I actually went through my whole, pretty much my whole Leicester career. I think I had two knee operations towards the end, but, but essentially, you know, I know, I think I held the record in the premiership for a little while where I played every minute of every game for like a year and a half. So what, what I'm trying to say is I was really fortunate with injuries, really fortunate. I didn't really hamstring, groin, calf, thigh. I never pulled a muscle in my whole career. Not really um, until I guess, you know, then the, the, the latter end of my salary career, you know, I, I then started to pick up these little injuries and, um, obviously really untimely to to not be involved in in such big games of course but um i, I guess if you look when i look at my whole of my career i shouldn't shouldn't complain too much yeah and then that summer steve uh, the summer of 2003 that you end up leaving the club at that point but you certainly can have played your part in some very big moments during your time at celtic over your, your couple of years that you were there and and had some some big yeah, some big moments and some big games that we can all look back on. Um, I just wanted to to finish off on, Steve, what we usually do when we have a guest on is, is ask some kind of quick fire questions about your own time at the club and also about some of your teammates as well if you're if you're keen for doing that. Um, but first of all, just in that time when you then when you then leave and you kind of reflect now in your time at Celtic, how do you look back on your time as a Celtic player? Um, I look back now. Very rarely, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm so into coaching, especially position-specific coaching. We spoke about the crossing, but I love working with players on on the 1v1s and, and then that fills up my day. But on the odd occasion, you know, I think back, um, obviously, it, it's nice to be able to say to people that you played for Celtic. You know, that's, that's especially out here in, in, in America, you know, everyone knows the club, you know, even with people who are not massively into soccer, they know Celtic. So that, that there's a certain amount of pride, I guess, when you look back and go, yeah, I, I played in a very, very good team. Didn't play as much as I'd like to have done. But, but when I did play, uh, I think, um, you know, I, I, I managed to get some uh, crosses in and set some goals up for some, some great forwards. You know, I mean, let's be honest. If you've got Chris Sutton, John Hartson, Henrik Larsson in the, in the box, if it's a bad cross, then, you know, you, you're doing something very wrong. So, um, you know, I, I, I love look back on those periods and think it was it was a, it was an honour to play for such a big club and to play with with such such great players. Amazing, Steve. That's that's brilliant. Now, let's just finish off then and, and some of these quick fire questions then to find out a little bit more about your time at Celtic with some of those teammates. Um, so the first one I've got up here is who is the best player you played alongside at Celtic? Well, it'd be, you know, it would have to say it would either be Lubo or, or Hemrick. It'd be very difficult to uh, to not say Hemrick with um, seeing I voted for him for Player of the Year, of course. But um, 
But I mean, world class striker, and and to be around a world class striker, to watch how he behaves. He was he was the one who first started doing ice baths. One of the first players I ever saw do ice baths. Now everyone does them nowadays, of course. Um, and and so to watch him in training, he used to get me to cross for him after training and it'd be just him in the middle and I'd have to whip in these crosses and if I ever got one wrong you know it was the end of the world you know and uh, you know it was, it was he demanded so much which I look back now and go wow that, that that's incredible there's no mistaking why he was so world-class but of course Lubo was just an absolute magician as well yeah that's two very very good shots Steve next one who was the biggest joker or prankster in the, the changing room can you remember anything at all well i know still in petra i've always wanted to be funny but his jokes just weren't um so, so i can't add still in <laughs> um oh i mean i mean pains me to say it but, but chris sutton was 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 a very dry sense of humor someone who said he'd never get involved in the media um has has clearly changed his mind in that respect but there's someone who's who's very very dry sense of humor um but um no i i think that the whole dressing room as a whole was uh was was, it was quite fierce that dressing room there was a lot of banter going around and uh sometimes you didn't always enjoy it but um i'll tell you who's funny jonathan gould gould he was funny i like you know there he was he was hilarious very that's great um I may know the answer to this already because we may have already spoken about him, but who would have been the one player in that team that you would not have wanted to cross? Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was, he was a really nice guy, but of course everyone would, would look at that and, and um, the way he was on the pitch and the way he was sometimes in training, you know, he, he certainly was a fierce competitor. So, um yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? Let's 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 go with him. I mean, I loved your I loved your Bobo stories. Did you have maybe not necessarily specifically of him, but is there anything else you can remember that's a real kind of tale that's you always maybe tell at a dinner party or something? Your time at Celtic. Well, it's difficult. I mean, there's there was so many. It was, there was a lot crammed in in those two and a half years there of, of, of incredible stories. Um, you know, and, and, and some of them are not mine. So I'm not sure it's right for me to, to share. It'd be someone else's story. But I, I, I do remember that we, um, I used to room with Sean Maloney and um, and um, Sean was a young player. I think they, they, they put him with me to try and have a, you know, a, a, maybe a senior pro and, and offer some advice. And, and I have to say, you know, uh, we got on really well, me and Sean. And um, even though he was very young, he was it was it was soon a battle for dominance in that in that room in the evenings like he wanted to go to bed at half nine and turn the light off and, and I wanted to stay up and read for a little while and uh, it was it was always a constant battle where the light would be off I'd turn it back on then he'd turn it off and and then that that tended to be how mine and his relationships went we were like a couple of brothers in many ways we'd, we'd be constantly arguing constantly fighting but also great friends as well and um yeah so so i was i was obviously pleased to see how well sean's career went and, and and i feel for him a bit because i actually think he was very very talented and um and i know he still had a good career and, and did did great things but but injuries were always something that that seemed to hold him back from really you know fulfilling his talent so not a great 
end of party story, whatever it was. But that, that was one thing that came to mind that I thought I'd, I'd like to mention. Yeah, he was a superb player, Sean Maloney. One of the best, technically, I think we had around that time. A player I grew up absolutely loving. So, uh, yeah, always good to hear about him. Just a, a couple more, Steve. Uh, this one about the manager. And I mean, it's great if you have one about a Celtic story, but it could be another one. I feel like any time again I speak to someone that played under him has a story about maybe the angriest they'd ever seen him or the most irate. Is there anything that comes to mind for you at all about Martin? Well, I mean, I get this banded around at me a little bit. I was always his favourite. I mean, maybe not at Celtic, but but uh, uh, at Wickham and Leicester, that I was um, always his, his favourite. And I'm sure, and I said, obviously, I'm obviously forever grateful that that someone of his stature saw something in me and um, and got the best out of me, which, so I was really lucky in that respect. But I have been on the, the other side of that as well. You know, <laughs> you know, I do talk to him fairly regularly, but he, you know, is very, very fierce on occasions. And, and I remember I did, did fall um, foul to, I upset him once when I was at Selwick. And um, I remember being in, um, in his office and I was like being told, I was walking, it was like, it was like the green mile. I was walking towards his office and I knew what was coming. And, um, and oh my word, I, honest, I thought he was going to hit me, I'll be honest. That's how it was like. <laughs> it, it was incredible. So, um, yeah, but, but, but then that's, that's what he was. You know, the, it was all about winning and the intensity. It just rubbed off on everyone and it must have rubbed off on me because, you know, he dragged the best out of me somehow in, in all the years I played under him. So, uh, you know, if you were always praised and, 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 and that when you didn't do well, you, you were sort of let off the hook. It would, you know, when you got praised, it felt like you were being praised. Do you know what I mean? It really felt important. So when someone in the dress room was getting absolutely battered by the manager and you're sat next to him, you know, not only did that player think, I better play better this next half, everyone around him was just thinking, I'm so pleased that wasn't me. Uh, I, I better up my game as well. Do you know what I mean? So... You, you need you need both sides of of the of the story, you know both sides of the story where when he praises you he praises you with such intensity and such energy that you you just think wow that was I, I must have done well so but then when you get the other side of it then then look out and and you know and I, and I think I think Roy Keane's very similar actually so you know there there maybe there lies you know a, a bit of of the, another reason why he was so successful and getting the best out of players, but yeah, I um I certainly was on the wrong side of of his temper every now and then. Thankfully, not that often, but but once or twice was more than enough. I can imagine once is definitely more than enough. I can I could not imagine it at all. Um, last one, Steve, because you've been so generous with your time. Um, just again, kind of looking back, is there a certain memory that stands out for you over your time at Celtic and that can be a personal moment from a, a game an atmosphere anything at all that, that might stand out more than most do you know what I, I thought we we're going to be talking about Alistair I've, I've just if I, I would never had any time to think about this um I mean there's obviously playing playing for Celtic there's there's, a, there's plenty of memories when you look back and go wow that was that was pretty special but I, I think I'd probably have to go to where I consider you know when you 
you know, at this point, many years have gone by, you know, there's no point making things up. You know, I, in my heart hearts, the best games I played for Celtic, I think, um, was the night against Celtic Vigo when we beat them at home. I remember putting in a corner and Henrik, I'm pretty sure he, he made this run where he came away from the keeper and jumped and headed it, you know, and I'm, not many people could do that, but he had that in the bag and I knew it. So I had to hit that area and, and I managed to do it. And, uh, and of course, he did the hardest thing, which was to score. But, you know, that night, I look back and think, yeah, I, I really, really played well that night. And I was really buzzing and, and the play under all the pressure and the, and the big crowd, the expectancy. You know, I think, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, and, and maybe, I guess you covered it, the, the day we won, we won the league to, um, to play a part in that and, uh, and to play play well and, and and set a couple of goals up. No, they're, they're great moments. You don't get enough of them moments in life when you know you score a goal, you get an assist. You know, they're those great rushes. You, you don't, you know, as a coach, you know, I, I guess when you win a game, we won the MLS Cup in 2010 here. And, you know, that felt like we achieved something and you got a little bit of a rush there, but nothing really compares to uh, to that of a player. And, and of course, playing such a big club like Sarek and such a with such a big crowd when you do something right like that you know they're they're they're, they're great moments Steve thank you so much for taking the time to speak to the Celtic View podcast I've absolutely loved going back through and all those memories and I hope you have as well and also great to hear some stories about Alistair Johnson and it's obviously great to see him doing so well here as, as well so Steve, thank you so much. I, I hope you enjoyed it and, and all the best with the, the rest of your time in Nashville. And I'll, I'll say hi to Alistair for you. Yeah, please do. And, and look out for his crossing. He works hard on it. So I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to set up many, many goals for Celtic. That would be great.